Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters and joining me today are Tarlock and Walla, Deputy Personal Finance at Investors Chronicle and David Cornell, Manager of India Capital Growth Fund. David, India Capital Growth Fund invests in equities, but does it focus on any particular area of the Indian market? Uh, Leonora, yes, it does. It's um, very distinctly small and mid-cap stocks in India. So by that, we loosely kind of define about a billion dollars of market cap. That's where we see most opportunities uh, uh, in terms of buying companies where the stock price is kind of where, where the value is mispriced. Most 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 opportunities there, where we see most of the kind of domestic stories. And India is a strong domestically driven market, so you get a lot of kind of uh, domestic facing companies there, and um, and value. Mm. You know, it's it's that's where the, the 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 most value is. So it's a good reason, and and. Um, Mid-cap stocks have historically done better than large-cap stocks, both in terms of growth in earnings and in terms of stock market performance. So it's kind of historically got a good track record. Yeah, now you, you mentioned that you like domestic-facing companies. So to what extent do the shares that you invest in capture growth in Indian GDP? Yeah, I mean, the correlation to GDP growth and, and stock market performance is is pretty low, as we know. Uh, but India is a fast growing economy and as demonstrated by its high GDP growth. And obviously a fast growing economy throws up lots of, you know, opportunities for growth within different sectors in the market. And, uh, India is no exception to that. And particularly in the domestic side, uh, interesting to know that 50% of the population of India is under 25 years old. So there's a really strong dynamic of young consumers entering the market. And uh, so we try and play to those kind of themes. That's um, financials, exposure to credit for the first time, banking sector, uh, you know, commercial kind of car loans, whether it's consumer loans, mortgages, that kind of thing. Lots of exposure to that, but also consumer products, household products, um, bicycles, motorcycles, all that kind of th- the kind of thing that, that you know, we think uh, – people who are experiencing a pickup in their income levels are going to start to spend their money on. Hmm, an interesting range of sectors. So what would be examples of some of the companies that you hold to get exposure to these? Yeah, okay, so there's a company we've held in the portfolio for about six years now called Jyoti Laboratories. It's, it sounds like it's a pharmaceutical company. It's not. It sells household products. It sells um, sort of washing powder. It sells mosquito repellent. But actually, its 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 largest selling uh, product is a is a thing called Ujala, which is very specific to the Indian market, and uh, it's a whitening agent. You put it in your in your wash, and it it helps your 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 shirt, your white shirt, stay white. And it's interesting. A lot of uh, aspiring Indian businessmen, middle class uh, kind of white collar workers, wear white shirts to work, and this whitening agent keeps that shirt looking fresh for a lot longer, maybe one, two, three years longer. And if you're on a, so if you're on a low income, but you want to look smart, you use Ujala. It has a 90% market share. And uh, Jyoti Laboratories has an extremely um, sophisticated and large distribution network. And so it can get this product to every part of the, of, of the, of the country. And that's quite something. Um, Hindustan Unilever, which is the Unilever subsidiary, doesn't even get to 60% of the market. And uh, Jyoti can kind of stretch that far. So that's the kind of thing we like to buy. Very consistent, very predictable, uh, very kind of um, transparent, consumer-facing, 
and uh, you know, nice steady deliver of, uh, of strong earnings growth. Yeah. So, so what's your process then for selecting um, these types of shares? So we're very fortunate that we have a strong team of very experienced analysts and portfolio managers based on the ground in Mumbai. And that differentiates ourselves ourselves from a lot of other uh, uh, asset managers who, who kind of tend to do it from overseas or via a balance sheet or from a Bloomberg screen. We we kind of, you know, we, we, we kind of hate this expression, but we go out and we kick the tyres and we travel a lot and we spend a lot of time analysing these companies, counting cars in car parks, you know, trying to do the very bottom-up fundamental research. Because that gives us the confidence to buy in, you know, what's quite a volatile market. And if we know our companies well and we understand what the managements are trying to do and we see, uh, you know, how they're, uh, they're, they're kind of building their businesses from the bottom up, then we can have confidence in that. So it's it's a it's a very thorough process, I would say. Yeah. Now, you, you said you're interested, obviously, in the domestic growth stories. So do you invest at all in unlisted companies? Because arguably, um, they're even close to the action, certainly in some economies. So the answer is that the trust does have the ability to the mandate to invest in unlisted companies in India. The reality is is that we don't, and the reason we don't is because quite often, uh, you know, the story in India doesn't play out like you expect it to, and quite often the unlisted companies trade at a premium to the listed companies, which is a bit bizarre. It's normally the other way round, and quite often. Uh, you, you know, you you make mistakes in your investment process, uh, or you get them. You know, you misunderstand the management, or the management does something you don't like, and then you're stuck with it. So, the returns can be very good; they can be better uh, than listed, but it might take ten years to get that return, and with a lot of blood, sweat, and tears on the way. So, we like to own companies uh, that we can sell. You know, if things go wrong, because things do go wrong, and part of although we invest in small and mid-cap India we do a very thorough exercise on the underlying liquidity in the stock so we analyze the turnover of the stock in the market because even though it's small we want to be able to ditch it if it goes wrong and we do ditch stuff because things do go wrong okay i mean on that note india capital growth fund has underperformed msci india a broad equity index over the last 12 months with a double digit negative net asset value return why is this it certainly, it certainly underperformed uh, MSCI India for the last 12 months. Um, the reason for that is, is that MSCI India is a large cap index. It tracks the top 40, 50, maybe 60 companies in India. And the large cap stocks have outperformed the smaller mid cap stocks over the last 12 months for various reasons, uh, which I'll come back to. The mid-cap index, which is what we benchmark the fund against, we've pretty much performed in line. Now, that's not to say we're pleased with that because the stock is down, you know, 20% or thereabouts in absolute terms. So we've lost investors' money this year. India, uh, and particularly the mid-cap sector, has been very expensive in terms of the price you pay for the earnings that you expect to get from the underlying companies. And that um, valuation has been on a rising uh, trend for the last four years or so from kind of October 2013 up to October 2017 where it peaked. 
The catalyst for the turn was the rising oil price. India's a big importer of oil, and the rising import bill kind of started to depress the currency. It started to kind of um, increase inflation, and the macroeconomics of India turned a little bit negative. And the stocks that have done best normally get hit first. So there was a lot of profit-taking in the mid-cap sector. There was what we call a flight to quality, a flight to safety. So whatever cash there was was buying large-cap liquid well-known companies, which is not where we invest at all. And so, um, you know, we got hit pretty hard. Uh, and it happens in India. And it may continue to happen for, you know, a few more months. Uh, because, it, you know, very often a self-fulfilling prophecy, stocks go down, people sell them, you know, so it gets worse before, before you find the bottom. Over the longer term, um, these kind of hiccups tend to iron themselves out. And, you know, the the mid-caps have massively outperformed the large-caps over, you know, 15-year period, 20-year period. And that's what we're trying to invest for, uh, particularly with India. So you've got to kind of be – you've got to be the kind of investor that's happy to stomach the volatility and to, to absorb these kind of losses. Um, and now's a good time to look at, look at it because it's a lot, a lot cheaper than it was. We've obviously been talking about your net asset value returns, but the UK shareholders get the share price – in pence. But to what extent has that been affected by currency movements? Yes, the currency plays a part. We don't hedge the underlying portfolio. By that, I mean, the the valuation the portfolio is, is given is in rupees. Uh, and then the rupee value is converted into sterling at the prevailing currency rate on a daily basis. So there's no hedging of the underlying positions in the portfolio. The reason is, is because we kind of... Um, got a strong bullish view on India. And we've got a reasonably strong bullish view on the currency, because if you like the market, you know, why, why would you try and uh, kind of hedge your risk against that? Um, and there's a practical reason, it's very expensive to hedge the rupee. So by the time you've paid for the hedge, you know, you then got to generate more performance in the portfolio in order to offset the cost of the hedge. And it doesn't tend to work. What happens is sterling, uh, bizarrely, has been quite strong against the rupee this year. And last I looked, it was it was about eight uh, percent stronger against the rupee. So we, we've lost a bit in in in, uh, in the strength of the sterling. And year over year, we try to factor in a sort of four to five percent depreciation of the rupee against sterling it tends to be quite lumpy. So you'll have one or two years where there's no depreciation or it's a small appreciation and then two or three years where you get whacked. And this is a year where we've got whacked. But by and large, the trust should deliver 20% in underlying rupee terms and let's say 5% depreciation of sterling against rupee. So we should be giving you 15% in sterling terms, between 12 and 15% in sterling terms. That's what we're aiming for. Okay. Now we've discussed the, I suppose, the volatility of uh, Indian smaller companies, but what would you say the other main risks to the areas you invest in? So the important thing to to remember is is that we're a bottom up stock picking fund. So we analyse the fundamentals of each company that we invest in, and the companies in the portfolio are there are there because they deserve to be there on their own merits. So we don't really look at the macro at all because it's we, we have no control over how it operates we we can only control the, the you know what we think the companies are doing and why they're doing it so it's pure bottom up uh that said clearly the macro economy does you know um instigate uh, or direct the trend of the market and the oil price is a big driver of sentiment towards indian equities the higher the oil price goes um the harder it is for indian equities to perform particularly in 
in dollar terms. So that's one thing. Emerging markets uh, as an asset class come in and come out of favour. It's out of favour right now because the dollar is strengthening, because interest rates in the US are strengthening. So we tend to see flows come out of emerging markets, go back to um, to base currencies. That's a headwind. Um, so oil and, and, and the dollar are two big headwinds. There's also an election coming up in India in 2018, uh, sorry, 2019. Mr. Modi seeks re-election in in May 2019, and the market will fret, is already fretting about uh, the chances of him, what the chances of him being re-elected are. So there's quite a lot, you know, to worry about. Mm. I mean, have you recently sold any shares as a result of any of your concerns? No. We've sold one stock this year uh, because of issues underlying that company. Uh, we don't turn over the portfolio that much uh, because when we find good companies, we want to kind of hold on to them. And um, and we tend not to trade around the macro because we tend to get it wrong uh, because timing these things is pretty hard. So uh, we've sold a company called Dish TV this year, which uh, was uh, is a company that provides direct-to-home satellite television in a way that we, we have Sky Dishes uh, over here. It's really struggled uh, because the competition in the market has just become more and more intense. The pricing of the products become uh, kind of under, under a huge amount of pressure. And because um, Mr. Modi demonetized the currency, I don't know if you remember that, uh, about uh, 18 months ago, and that made collection very difficult for them. So that's a stock that's underperformed and we've and we've sold it. But bar that, nothing else. Mm. I mean, um, PC, you bottom-up stock pickers, but are there any areas of the um, Indian equity market that, you're not particularly keen on and, and why there are um bro- broadly speaking the, the 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 portfolio is selected um irrespective of an index and irrespective of a sector we're not trying to benchmark anything we're not trying to match any kind of sector weightings or any kind of benchmark weightings it's a, a, a portfolio of best ideas and there are lots of sectors in india that we avoid um either because we don't understand them particularly well or because there's just no transparency um, infrastructure is a is a big theme in India. It's a really important part of the overall growth of the economy in terms of improving productivity and uh, and uh, and making the, the the country function better. But but finding ways to get exposure to that story is very hard. Um, infrastructure related companies tend to have a lot of debt on their balance sheet. They tend to have to you know take on that debt to fund a project that might be 15 or 20 years in terms of building a road or building a you know a kind of stretch of railway or building some bridges or whatever it is and you know so these infrastructure projects are, are long dated uh, there's a lot of balance sheet risk um quite often you rely on government relationships in order to win those contracts and we're never quite sure how those contracts you know who decides who gets what and uh, and who's paying for it and so you don't really kind of get the transparency that you you kind of feel comfortable with. So we t- try and avoid that. Um, shipping, we don't invest in. Airlines, we don't invest in. Uh, there's areas of the biotech market that we don't invest in. Um, there's areas of IT products uh, that we don't invest in. And pr- IT products seem to change. You go out of fashion within days, weeks. By the time we've understood it, it's moved. You know, it's already obsolete. So we try and avoid those kind of things. So it's, we, we try and invest in really simple ideas that, you know, are easy to understand, reasonably easy to model. And... Um, uh, and we think and hope have good structural long-term growth opportunities. Okay. Now, I appreciate macro considerations aren't the first thing you think about, 
but there are trade tensions between the US and China, which could have a regional knock-on effect. So, for I, you know, either in a negative or positive way, could this have an effect on India and Indian equities? It will have an effect on India, but in a relative sense, it's much less of an effect than it would be to other uh, Asian economies. India is not an export-driven market. Uh, 17% of GDP is um, is uh, driven by export uh, volumes. It should be much more. Uh, but in some senses, India is very well protected from this mercantilist battle between China and the US. And I think that's very healthy and very positive because I don't see these trade wars kind of going away in a, in a, in a hurry. Um, and in fact, as the US consumer or the developed market consumer or the populations in developed markets age, then the appetite or the demand for cheap Asian exports may decline over time. This may be the start of something. Uh, where does India fit in that equation? Well, it doesn't really. It's a domestically focused economy. 70% of its economy is driven by consumption. And the consumption is coming from those 50% of the population, that's 600 million people, who are under 25. You know, that's a great story. And we love the fact that it's got very little correlation to China or, or, or the US in that regard. India Capital Growth Fund had an ongoing charge of 1.86% at the end of its last financial year, which these days is relatively high for an active fund. Are you looking at cutting it at all? The answer is we are not looking at cutting the fees at the moment, although we do consistently review the fee structure uh, and ask not only ourselves, but also our investors how they feel about it. The, the, the fees are at a premium to the peer group, but we think that is justified by the performance that we deliver. And if you if you look at the performance adjusted for fees against our peer group, actually, our our, our fee adjusted performance looks you know stronger. So you're paying a little bit more, but you're getting a lot more for it, uh, and that's um, you know justifiable in in our view. That's not to say we 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 are not constantly thinking about whether or not we should we should price the product lower, and we are. Okay, thank you, David. A really interesting insight into the investment opportunities in India and India Capital Growth Fund. Jupiter Global Financials Fund, as its name suggests, has invested in companies such as banks and insurance companies, but its managers have recently announced a change in its investment policy. Taha, can you tell us some more? Yeah, so it's um, it's going to be it's changing its name for a start, so it won't be called uh, Global Financials Fund anymore. It's going to be called the Jupiter Financial Innovation Fund, uh, which obviously gives us some ideas to what it's going to be thinking about. Um, as you said, traditionally, the the big financial stocks that we that we know, but it's going to start looking at more different ideas in the financial services sector. So uh, the manager, Guy Dabloni, said he's going to be looking for companies that shape and dominate financial services. And for him, this means looking more at things like mobile finance, uh, data analytics and financial analytics, uh, mobile payment systems and things like that. So the, the kind of new age, digitally technology driven financial companies that are, are coming to the fore. OK, so what would be some examples of changes to its holdings um, to reflect its new investment policy? So, yeah, it's, it's actually been doing this uh, over the past uh, 15 months or so. So looking at its stock holdings um, using Morningstar at the end of July, 
compared to July 2017, you've seen an almost double doubling of the holding in PayPal. You've seen companies like Visa and MasterCard come in, another company called Global Payments. So obviously you can see this clear theme of you know, still big consumer-driven big brands, but they are, they are not banks. Um, but on the flip side of that, you've seen companies like Bank of America, Prudential, Unicredit, HSBC. They've all kind of either seen their allocations reduced significantly or they've been taken out the fund altogether. This Jupiter fund, is it the only financials fund that sort of moved in the direction of the newer sort of sexier tech stocks? No, it's um, it's becoming, um, I'm going to refrain from calling it a theme because, you know, the, the, we've only seen two examples of this so far and we need three to call it a theme. Um, but it's, it's definitely something that's going on. So the AXA Familington Financial Fund is now actually going to be called the AXA Familington Fintech Fund and that happened earlier this week. And yeah, very similar comments from the manager of that company. He was saying he wants to invest more in the supply chains um, of the financial services sector. So moving away from the front end banks and insurance companies and looking behind uh, who's making the money to de- delivering these kind of technology driven products. Are more financial funds likely to change investment policies to invest more in fintech? There's two reasons to suggest why. Uh, and, and one of them is just the, the basic idea that both the managers have said is that this is now the shape of the financial services sector. It isn't just about HSBCs, Lloyds or, you know, global banks and global insurance companies. That's not where the money's going to be made anymore. It's going to be these kind of new age, I suppose, avant-garde financial companies, if you want. So if that's the way the sector's going, then, yeah, that's the way the fund should go as well. There is another aspect to this as well, and that's from the kind of commercial aspect of asset managers and the marketing. Um, financials funds, as I'm sure we can all appreciate, haven't been the best investment or the, the most popular since 2008. Um, so perhaps changing their names into something a bit more palatable to investors like fintech, which is a bit of a buzzword. You know, it's up there with blockchain and Bitcoin. And, you know, you see funds starting to and, and, and marketing materials start to add these buzzwords because it becomes more appealing to investors. So there, there is that. So for both reasons, you probably could see other financials funds go the same way. Is this a good thing? Uh, well, I say it depends. If it's the way the sector's evolving, then it's absolutely a good thing. You know, sectors evolve and change over time and the funds that invest in the sector should do the same thing. You know, if you imagine that healthcare funds hadn't started to change to include biotech, investors definitely would have lost out over the time. So that's it's something they should be doing. Um, but, you know, obviously we have to be wary of, you have to look at the funds, you, the financial funds you're in and make sure they're actually changing and it isn't just marketing. Um, two things, though. It does mean, one, if you want pure banking exposure... You might have to go elsewhere if if these funds, financial funds, aren't going to be investing in the the top end banks. You're going to have to start looking at how you would get access to them. But the other thing is also that it makes these funds harder to analyze because take the Jupiter Fund, for example. It's benchmarked against the MSCI or Country World Financials Index, all of which whose top holdings are the banks that this fund has now sold. So previously, you can compare for performance of the Jupiter Fund versus the index, and that's entirely fair because they were broadly investing in the same thing. If the fund is starting to move away from that and the index doesn't follow or takes time to follow, then you're going to have to find a different way to make sure this fund is performing in the best way it should be. Interesting moves. David, India Capital Growth Fund invests across the Indian market, but two of its largest holdings, Tech Mahindra and NIIT Technologies, are technology stocks. Um, so what area of technology do these companies focus on and, and why have you invested in them? Okay. 
Well, having told you how excited we are about the domestic growth story uh, in the Indian market, these are two companies that don't uh, uh, play to that tune at all. So true to our word, we try and keep reasonably diversified. Um, these are companies that are IT service rated companies. They're not product rated. They, they provide a service. They provide a service to offshore companies. Uh, in the case of uh, NIIT technology, it uh, focuses in the travel vertical predominantly. And to give you an example of the kind of thing that it does, it, it, it looks after um, you know, the baggage handling systems for a lot of the big uh, uh, airline companies and the ticketing uh, website for a lot of the airline companies. And what the airlines are doing is they're using the, um, the highly skilled English-speaking low-cost labour that the Indian market offers to provide them with a cost-effective and highly competitive solution for their for their, for their IT platform. And so, so Tech Mahindra will do the same in, in more in the banking vertical than in the tra- in the travel vertical. But it, it's it's a theme that's been um, prevalent in the Indian market for probably for twenty years. I'd say since Y two K, that was really the launch of the IT service company. Uh, theme in India. Uh, and so we see increasingly a trend of more and more uh, global companies outs- outsourcing a lot of their IT to India. That's not a new theme, uh, and we think it'll continue. And even as we're moving away from the kind of standard application development, maintenance software into artificial intelligence and uh, and that kind of thing. The Indian software companies are adapting as well. So they're, they're, they're kind of highly um, efficient, very kind of uh, plugged into, into the changing nature of this sector. And uh, we think they're con- going to continue to dominate it for, for many years to come. And the other reason we like them is because they're dollar earners. They earn their, 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 their revenues in dollars and that protects their, them and the portfolio from weakness in the rupee. Okay. Now, earlier this year, you increased the fund's exposure to um, technology. What made you decide to do this? Two things. Uh, one was uh, the stocks had fallen out of favour, partly because the market was concerned about the pressure that these companies' margins were under as a result of this shift away from pure maintenance and pure software development into artificial intelligence and those kind of themes. How are the Indian companies going to manage that? Uh, And so there was pressure on the stocks because of that, and that created value opportunities for us. And secondly, as the oil price started to head from 60 to 80, the rupee started to go in the opposite direction. We sought some protection uh, in the portfolio from that weaker rupee. So it was a combination of those two things. Do you think you'll invest more in tech stocks? Uh, hard to say. I mean, we've got quite a big exposure to them already. And, um, you know, if we find companies in the sector that we like, that we think are mispriced, uh, we think are in a good uh, position, then yeah, we'll definitely increase it. But if we don't, we probably won't. Mm. And we, we've just been talking about um, a couple of funds that are investing more in fintech. Mm. Um, I mean, is, it, is this an opportunity in the Indian market? And do you see the fund, your fund having more in, in fintech? So a huge opportunity in the market, and India is kind of uh, leading the charge in some ways in terms of uh, consumers' understanding and use of fintech and the banking sector's ability to 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 to, um, to change the way it does business to 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 kind of cope with the changing consumer trends. 
Um, but it's quite hard to get exposure to it in the listed market. Uh, so we try and find exposure through the banking stocks that we see adapting their platforms to suit the, the changing consumer habits. But the underlying startup fintech companies, quite hard to get exposure to. Thank you, David. Really interesting developments. And see this week's funds news for Taha's full report on the changes at Jupiter Global Financials Fund. That brings us to the end of today's show, but you can read more on financials and India in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle of a website. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.